The heat of summer is now with us in our part of the Northern Hemisphere, and public schools have wrapped up. There's no time for rest, though, for there's much happening all across the community. It's the 159th day of the year, better known as June 8th, 2021. And this is the relevant edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm your two-syllable host, Sean Tubbs, here to get you caught up on some of what's gone on. On today's show, Charlottesville City Council votes to remove Confederate statues in city parks. And this time, it's a vote that does not have to be cleared by the Virginia Supreme Court. A joint PTO group releases a final report on a special fund created to help improve virtual learning. And one Albemarle County highway gets shut down for a few hours yesterday, while another one remains closed for the near future. In today's Patreon-fueled shout-out, as we head into summer and the weather heats up, your local energy nonprofit, LEAP, wants you and yours to keep cool. LEAP offers free home weatherization to income and age-qualifying residents. If you are aged 60 or older, or have an annual household income of less than $75,100, you may qualify for a free energy assessment and home energy improvements, such as insulation and air sealing. Sign up today to lower your energy bills, increase comfort, and reduce energy waste at home. There's a link to this sign-up in the newsletter, and thank you to LEAP for their support of Charlottesville Community Engagement. In a minute, we'll get to a wrap-up of last night's city council meeting. But first, a couple of news items. Albemarle County Police shut down the U.S. 29 and Interstate 64 interchange yesterday for four hours as a response to a call for a person in crisis at Teal Lane and Monacan Trail. According to a news release, no additional information about the incident will be released. Teal Lane is several hundred feet southwest of the interchange. Not related, but U.S. 250 remains closed at Afton Mountain due to a rock slide. According to the Virginia Department of Transportation spokesman Lou Hatter, work continues six days a week by two contractors. One is removing the unstable material. The other is coming behind to stabilize the areas. We still anticipate it will be mid-July to complete the work. Stay tuned. Last year, all of the parent-teacher organizations in Charlottesville came together to raise money to help students in households that did not have the resources to fully participate in virtual learning. Now, the final report of the Ready to Teach, Ready to Learn CCS reopening fund is out, and the effort raised $165,097 from 201 donors. In addition to providing funds for teaching materials, funds were also spent to help the return to in-person learning, including covering the cost of van transportation at a time when school buses were limited. Here's a bit from that report. Funding was divided and allocated quickly to PTOs at all seven elementary schools, Buford Middle, Charlottesville High, and Lugo McGinnis Academy, using distribution percentages based on each school's population of students receiving free and reduced lunch. 
The use of the funds was then determined by individual school-level committees comprised of a PTO representative, teacher, administrator, and an equity committee representative. The Charlottesville Area Community Foundation partnered to administer the fund. The report lists several conclusions, including a sense that there is an untapped potential for public schools to raise money from private sources. There's a link to the report in the newsletter. Charlottesville City Council held a public hearing last night on whether to remove two Confederate statues in two city parks. I'll have details on that in a moment, but first, some other highlights from the meeting. It has now been about 10 days since COVID restrictions in Virginia were fully lifted, but public health officials are still monitoring the situation. Dr. Denise Bonds of the Blue Ridge Health District gave a briefing yesterday at the council meeting. Daily case counts in the district have been dwindling since mid-April. We are frequently at single digits, um, often only one or two cases reported. Today, that number is three new cases in the district. There's been a total of 15,937 cases and 224 fatalities since last March. Community engagement efforts are ongoing. Our hotline is still um, going strong. Uh, Since January, we've had over 25,000 calls to our hotline. That number is 434-972-6261 if you need it for some reason. That's 434-972-6261. Dr. Bonds said the district is continuing to get people vaccinated in order to meet the goal of having 70% of Americans vaccinated by July 4th. As of today, 48.8% of the health district is fully vaccinated. Statewide, that number is at 46%. Children under the age of 12 are not yet eligible to be vaccinated, but Dr. Bond said approval of at least one vaccine may be approved this fall. The vaccination clinic at JCPenney will close this month, but will reopen in a smaller store inside Fashion Square Mall. The district is also working to vaccinate people who cannot travel outside of their homes. Vaccination events will also continue to be held at other community events. Here's city manager Chip Boyles. It was a very good weekend with uh, Sunday at Tonsler Park. We had the splash pad open, a basketball tournament, and uh, vaccinations occurring, taking advantage of, of the crowds that were there. City Hall remains closed to the public, but planning is underway to transition back to reopening. Boyles also said that Charlottesville has received the first payment from the American Recovery Plan. The amount is $9.8 million, and another payment of the same amount is expected in the next calendar year. First funding will go towards revenue uh, replacement for the city and then additional COVID uh, improvements. And then we will very shortly be rolling out for our, our nonprofit stakeholders in the community a program um, where they can apply. In just a moment, a summary of the public hearing on the removal of the Confederate statues. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. Time now for another subscriber-supported public service announcement. This June, the Jefferson-Madison Regional Library is hosting two virtual programs to commemorate Juneteenth. On June 17th, the library system is hosting a panel discussion on the lives of the enslaved populations on the Montcello, Montpelier, and Highland plantations. On June 22nd, 
JMRL will hold a program about the recently discovered unmarked graves outside the enclosures of the cemetery at Penn Park. Details on guests and how to attend are listed in the newsletter. Now, on to the statues. Council waived its usual procedure of having people wait until the designated public hearing to allow people to use the community matters to speak out on this matter. One of these was Zai Bryant, who began a petition in 2016 to remove the statues when she was a student at Charlottesville High School. She pointed out Council's original vote to remove the statues in 2017 was 3-2. to two. So the choice here is clear. What needs to happen is clear. It's up to you to make the right decision. And there's no opportunity left to straddle the fence. Which side of history do you want to be on? Scott Warner grew up in Charlottesville, but now lives in Albemarle County. He said the report from the council-appointed Blue Ribbon on Race, Memorials, and Public Spaces offered up two alternatives for the two statues. Move the sculpture to McIntyre Park and confront its history there. And number two, confront this, confronting the sculpture um, in place and redesign and transform Lee Park. Bruce Williamson, an attorney who works downtown, said council ultimately voted to reject the Blue Ribbon Commission's recommendations. The preservation of history is not even an issue here. These statues preserve other things, and many other speakers will speak eloquently, eloquently Uh, to what these statues were meant for, what they preserve, and why they need to go. After these comments, City Manager Chip Boyles gave an overview of the last five years and explained what the steps are ahead for the statues, as laid out by the Virginia Supreme Court and the General Assembly. Council now has before you tonight for consideration a resolution to remove, contextualize, relocate, or cover these statues after a 30-day period has expired that allows consideration of relocation to a museum, historical society, government, or military battlefield. Then the official public hearing began. In the second session, several speakers asked that the city remove the statues, but not let anyone else take them on. Here's Callie Gaston. These statues must come down and not be put up anywhere else after this. They are symbols of hate, of white supremacy, and as such, must be removed and repurposed. In all, 55 people addressed council during the public hearing, with all but a handful requesting removal. City Councilor Heather Hill spoke first. Really, really appreciate the engagement tonight, and I think it was just definitely a clear message to this council. Vice Mayor Cena McGill thanked those who spoke. And also to thank the people who started this work in all sorts of forms over a very long time. City Councilor Michael Payne said he didn't have much to add to what the speakers had said. Thoughts I have that just come to mind as someone um, who was there on August 12th and, you, you know, turning onto 4th Street and a survivor of August 12th like others is that, um, you know, I'm... Pr- I will be very proud to take a vote to remove these and to reimagine our public spaces in these areas. And I hope it can be a small part of 
collective transformation here locally. City Councilor Lloyd Snook also referenced August 2017 and the Unite the Right rally that was held here because of Council's original vote to remove the Robert E. Lee statue. Whatever we might have, anybody might have thought before August 12th, since August 12th, I think the answer has become crystal clear. Uh, I, I, it's, it's crystal clear to me that the statues need to come down in some fashion. Uh, I have not yet solidified in my own mind what ought to happen thereafter. The statue requires the city to put out an offer for groups to take the statue and to give 30 days for a response. Snook said if the city were to deviate from that process, there could be further legal complications. So we're going to do it. We're going to do it carefully. We're going to do it thoroughly. Uh, We're going to do it absolutely by the law. Mayor Nakaya Walker said she was thinking about how black children in the future will no longer have to see the statues. I immediately started thinking of how many 10-year-olds have had to live um, and be subjected to uh, symbols um, throughout history that upholds um, whiteness over everything else. Walker also said that people who are opposed to the proposed changes to the future land use map that's part of the comprehensive plan update should also consider their views, and that supporters of removing the statues should enter into that conversation. And I'm hoping that those individuals are having the same conversation with the same intensity of with their neighbors who are forgetting um, redlining and racial covenants and wanting to maintain status quo, um, but not able to associate that with the same power structure that put those statues up. Councilor Payne made a motion seconded by Snook. Council Clerk Keena Thomas read the rules. Mayor Walker? Yes. Vice Mayor McGill? Yes. Councilor Hill? Yes. Councilor Payne? Yes. Councillor Snook? Yes. Within minutes, the city issued a request for statements of interest for entities who might want to take ownership of the statues. On or after July 8, 2021, if the statues, or either of them, has not been transferred to such an entity for relocation and placement, City Council may make other dispositions. That's according to the description in the request for interest. This is a story we'll continue to hear more about in the weeks to come. Before we go today, I wanted to follow up on the brief blurb in the June 5th newsletter about pollution reduction targets for the Chesapeake Bay. Sarah Vogelsong has a great story in the Virginia Mercury about the challenges to getting reductions in the agricultural sector, with a focus on efforts to fence cattle out of streams. It's worth a read if you want to pay more attention to what's known as the TMDL. That stands for the Total Maximum Daily Load. And this is a story to follow in the next four years, with a crucial deadline looming in 2025. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. We'll be back tomorrow with another installment. 
Really quickly, just if you would like to support this program, you know what to do by now, I think. But for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, if you subscribe through Substack, either at the $5 a month, the $50 a year, or the $200 a year founders level, you will have that matched by Ting, the company Ting. Uh, will do that, which is kind of great, and it really helps me consider how I can do this well into the future. Bringing you this information uh, as often as I can is what I have decided to make my life about for the next little while. Maybe the rest of my life. Who knows? All I know is I want to keep writing about all of these tough conversations that we have and all of the tough conversations that we will continue to have, as well as hopefully providing some levity here and there in the form of a quick pun. Uh, don't have one now because this has been a pretty serious show. So I will just leave you and say thank you very much for listening. Be back tomorrow. Stay safe out there. Something I'm going to keep saying for quite a long time because honestly, I want you all to be safe. Thanks again. 